you can't do anything over there. It's chaos. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And everyone's like, oh, why are we not getting better? It's like, look, stand there down there for five minutes and watch what's going on. And you tell me how you can improve this. You can't improve any of it. You just need to shut it down completely, fire everybody, and restart. (laughs) (laughs) Hey. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of 4.30 in the morning. It's your boy, Ben. And Pat is back as well. 98. Episode number 98. What you got for 98? I really don't know. Um, Tommy Togiai, maybe? I feel like I've, we've said him before. Yeah, I think we have. I don't know. 98? I think uh, Vince Williams, when he played for Pittsburgh, he was number 98. Uh, was, I, was Lawrence Timmons 98? I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of players that would wear 98, but I can't. can't I can't think yeah. of any. Anyways, we had a good week listener-wise. Despite the fact that we took us a while to get this episode going. Yeah, we, we've had a lot of Facebook abuse. Yes, we have. And we had like 35 listens this week or something without a new episode. Hey, fantastic. That was pretty good. Keep it coming. Definitely. Uh, on to the news. You got any news today, sir? Yeah. Uh, you want me to get started? Sure, why not? All right, I'll start off with this one. This one is from the Miami Herald. Interesting. February 3rd, 2023. Spelunkers find 27,000-year-old claw marks in hidden cave under untouched for millennia. Interesting, but what's a spelunker? I don't know. That's, that's literally the headline. The archaeologists in Spain were exploring the underground caverns of Cuva del Arco when a particular spot caught their attention, according to a Friday, February 3rd news release from the University of Murcia. The sediment-filled spot seemed like a sealed-up passageway into another cavern. The spelunkers began to excavate slowly and painstakingly, hoping they'd find something to make the effort worthwhile. They dug into the rocky cave while air began coming through the hole. Ignacio Martin Lerma, lead archaeologist and professor at the University of Murcia, eventually managed to poke his head through the passageway in the release said. He expected to see an average-sized chamber. Instead, he found himself staring into a humongous cavern. The cavern, untouched for millennia, was almost a mile long and had vaulted ceilings almost 65 feet. Videos of the cavern show how massive the underground space is. Exploring the cavern, the spelunkers made another discovery, claw marks. These scratches were found on many of the cave walls and left by cave bears, researchers said. European cave bears went extinct between 27,000 to 28,000 years ago, according to Britannica. The cave bears were anywhere from 880 to 2,200 pounds, similar to the size of the Kodak bears found in Alaska or polar bears found in the Arctic. That's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. I like those big bears. 27 to 28,000 years years ago. Oh yeah. Wow. There's more to it, but we got the gist. Sure. Yeah, there was a lot going on with that article. Weirdly written. Uh, You said that was out of Spain? Yes. See, I kind of got excited when I heard Miami Herald. I thought this was going on in Miami at first. Yeah, for sure. And I'm like, what kind of bears are living down there? (laughs) Anyways, it's it's always something cool going on. Always something interesting. Definitely. I like those. Claw marks. Now, that's not like, that's that's ancient history, but it really isn't that far back, all things considered. Right. And it's interesting to think about these big-ass animals that used to roam across Europe. Like, lions used to live in Europe. Obviously, these big-ass bears did. Arcs. These big-ass ox things. You know they're bringing back the... uh, uh, the what you call it? The uh, mammoth. Are they? The woolly mammoth. Yes. Is that official? Yeah. On Joe Rogan episode, Forrest Galanti. I think that's how you say his name. Okay, yeah. Uh, he talks about it. He talks about, like, the science behind it and everything. Okay. It's pretty freaking cool. And, like, one's going to be born, like, I think this year, like, at the end of this year. Are they going to birth it by an elephant? Yeah, so they take, they're taking, like, the DNA of a woolly mammoth that's been preserved. Sure. And they're fusing it with, or they're putting it into the womb of 
the uh, closest ancestor to the woolly mammoth sure. that's alive today, which I think they said was the Indian elephant. Okay. I'm pretty sure the Indian elephant, but you guys can check out that episode of Joe Rogan. It's really good. Yeah. Uh, we'll have to do a live episode when that happens. Yes, definitely. <laughs> While it's birthing. Though. Yes. We'll be on site. Anyways, on to my first one. This one comes from the New York Times, and this one just happened about five hours ago, six hours ago. Jesus. U.S. shoots down flying object over Canada. Now, you might have heard that the United States shot down a UFO over Alaska yesterday. Yep. Then you heard about the Chinese balloon debacle. Right. This is a third UFO getting shot down. What is going on? An American fighter jet, acting on the orders of President Biden and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau of Canada, shot down another unidentified flying object on Saturday, Canadian and American officials said, in the latest installment of the drama playing out in the skies of North America. I ordered the takedown of an unidentified object that violated Canadian airspace, Mr. Trudeau said in a statement posted on Twitter. He said an American F-22 with the North American Aerospace Defense Command, which is operated jointly by the United States and Canada, shot down the object over the Yukon Territory. As with the object that Mr. Biden ordered shot down in Alaska on Friday, officials said they had yet to determine just what had been blasted out of the sky over the Yukon, which borders Alaska. Mr. Trudeau said he had spoken with Mr. Biden on Saturday afternoon. Canadian forces will now recover and analyze the wreckage of the object, he said on his Twitter post. It is believed to be rare for the United States to shoot down unidentified flying objects, but tensions in the U.S. have been high ever since the discovery of a Chinese spy balloon in American skies about two weeks ago, prompting Secretary of State Anthony Blinken to cancel a planned ship to China. The Chinese government acknowledged that the dirigible was one of its own, though they said it was for weather research. Beijing said a similar balloon that was spotted over Central and South America the same weekend was also for civilian purposes. So, we heard about the whole balloon debacle, which... Which was ridiculous. Don't get me started on that one. They literally let it fly all across the damn country <laughs> just for fun basically jesus god almighty so then you had the second incident in alaska yesterday <laughs> then you got the third one that happened today basically and number one canada has disarmed itself basically by this point so they couldn't shoot it down they needed right. the american f-22 to shoot it down <laughs> but what 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 the hell's going on <laughs> so are these all chinese spy balloons See, i have no idea now if you guys remember back it wasn't that long ago that we ran a story about Russia claiming that they shot down a UFO. And everyone was like, oh, that's kind of crazy. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. It was literally yeah. like within the last like three weeks that we did that news story. Yeah. Now we got two getting shot down in two days over here. What in the hell is And they going still don't know on? what all these things are. Like they're not talking about what the hell they are. So I'm going to assume that these are not like alien spacecraft more than likely. Probably not. Because I feel like we wouldn't be shooting those down as easily. Like we wouldn't have two kills in two days basically. Literally. Unless uh, what I was thinking about, and it's like, imagine like a kid's flying a drone around like they say they got a toy drone and they're like gonna fly like near some birds and the birds go out and kill it and take it down maybe the aliens that's a toy for like the aliens sure and it's like okay go fire drone to this little little world over there and see what's going on and the kid doesn't know what he's doing so he, maybe that's the kid that keeps getting shot down the alien kid <laughs> that's funny that's, that's the best that's, idea that's I possible have. That's, that's the best possible. idea i have for this one yeah so obviously a lot of questions with that who knows at this point i don't know if we're ever gonna get a straight story Probably not, but you can't trust the Chinese, that's for sure. You can't trust the Chinese, you can't trust the Canadians, and you really can't trust the U.S. government at this no, point either. definitely so. not. 
there's a lot of uh there's a potential for a lot of bullshit yeah to come from this so anyways what else you got this is my last one this is from our favorite upi on news oh san diego zoo mouse officially the world's oldest at the age of nine a pacific pocket mouse residing at the san diego zoo safari park has officially been named the world's oldest living mouse in human care and the oldest mouse ever at the age of nine years and 209 days pat the pacific pocket mouse named for me actor patrick stewart was born at the zoo on July 14th, 2013. And the Guinness World Records announced Thursday that the mouse is now officially the holder of two world records for his longevity. The previous oldest mouse ever was named Fitzy and died at the age of seven years and 225 days at his owner's home in Britain in 1985. Pacific pocket mice. Pacific pocket mice, the smallest mouse species in North America, have been thought extinct until a small population was discovered in 1994. Pat was born during the first year of San Diego Zoo's Pacific Pocket Mouse Conversation Breeding and Reintroduction Program. This recognition is so special for our team and, and is significant for the species. Deborah Shear, Brown Endowed Associate Director of Recovery Ecology at San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance, said in the news release. It's indicative of the dedication and incredible care we as an organization provide for each species, from the largest to the very smallest. And that's the end of the article. That was ridiculous. Now, what are the chances, first of all, you said that this was a species that was thought to be extinct, right. and now they're cranking out the longest living mouse. <laughs> like, what are the chances of that? That's hilarious. Exactly. This is like Scabbers from Harry Potter. I don't understand that. Even though Scabbers is a rat. It's like the same thing. Right? Didn't Scabbers grow up to be, uh, uh... Like, like well, one of the one of the scabbers was was Peter Pettigrew. Okay, yeah, but that's why. But this this Anyways. might be this might be a, like an animagus. This could be an a, a human. And we're gonna go with that, theory <laughs> and we'll, we'll we'll run with it until it's disproven. Good. Anyways, I got another one from our favorite UPI odd news. Let's get it. Woodpeckers stash seven hundred pounds of acorns in wall of California home. Jesus. A pest control technician investigating an insect problem at a California home made a startling discovery. About 700 pounds of acorns had been stashed inside the house's wall by woodpeckers. Nick Castro of Nick's Extreme Pest Control said he expected to find a dead animal inside of the wall of a Glen Allen home where residents reported seeing maggots and mealworms emerging from a wall. Castro cut a small hole in the wall on the second floor bedroom and was shocked when acorns started pouring from the opening. Castro and his colleagues discovered the acorns were piled about 20 feet high inside the wall. He estimated about 700 pounds of acorns were removed. The technician said he investigated the outside of the home and discovered woodpeckers had been poking holes in the chimney stack and had been stashing acorns in the opening for the past two to five years. He said acorns. He said the acorns eventually fell through the wall cavity. Castro said it took about eight hours to remove the acorns. He said he repaired damage to the home's exterior and added screens to protect the wood from the birds. So, I don't know what the hell it was going on with this house but woodpeckers felt the need to insert acorns into it over the course of many years 700 pounds of acorns it's like it's like one woodpecker was going to all the other woodpeckers like hey bro i got this fucking stash now 
Exactly. <laughs> now, how much would you say an acorn weighs? An ounce? Probably not even that much. So we're talking 700 pounds. We're talking thousands and thousands of acorns. Possibly millions. Oh, my God. I don't know about this. 700 one. pounds? Yeah. Six That's a lot of acorns. Two, two acorns to an ounce. So, 16 ounces to a pound. So I'm curious. where how How is the woodpecker getting it into the house? Apparently, it poked a hole in the chimney snack. Somehow. And so there's just this one hole, and the, and the acorns were getting into the walls from this chimney stack? Yeah. That's a story Nick Castro's given us. Wow. Unreal. So I don't even know what to say about that one. That's, That's about crazy. all I got, though. That's unreal. Anyways, what other news stories you got today, sir? That was Those were the two I had. All right, I got one more. This one comes from WPDE.com, and this is the ABC affiliate in South Carolina. But this one is not from South Carolina. This one's going back to Canada. Couple returns home from trip to find pair impersonated them and sold their house. A couple in Canada returned home from a trip to find two people had impersonated them and sold their house. <laughs> According to the CTV Jeez. News, police of the homeowners left the country in January of 2022 for a business trip. The two individuals who have yet to be identified hired a real estate agent and put the house in Etobicoke on the market, police said. They then sold the house and managed to take possession of the property through fake identification. Police added that several months after the sale, the actual homeowners learned that their house was sold without their consent. The man and the woman were both wanted on mortgage fraud investigation. No other details have been released. That's wild. So, imagine just going for a trip. Now, this is an extensive trip. It's probably a year-long trip. I can't imagine you're going to be taking a year-long trip anytime soon. Probably not. Maybe. Who knows? You come back expecting to go back home and you got other people living in your house (laughs) and claim legal possession of it and have legal possession of it. Unbelievable. Could you imagine the balls to impersonate? Like, how the hell did this happen? I'm assuming they were able to break into the house, number one, steal some identification left at the home, number two, and get to the point where they were able to sell the house. That's wild. Isn't that crazy to think about? They are... They have to be professionals. They have yes. had to have done this before. Yes. Or attempted to. So I wonder, yeah, exactly. I wonder how uh, I wonder how many times this has happened. I feel like you would hear about this. I feel like this is newsworthy every time it happens. Yeah, no shit. But maybe someone's like too embarrassed to admit that their house got stolen <laughs> from them. Or like, you know, title fraud fraud is a thing. Yeah, definitely. Now this is Canada, so I don't know what kind of loosey-goosey rules they got going on up there. But mm. still, mortgage theft, mortgage fraud, that's pretty bad. That's rough. feel bad for them. Anyways, they could be, maybe they're part of something we're going to be talking about on our main topic. Yeah, sure, Pat. That's a good segue. What is our main topic? And this is going to be yet another Ben episode. This is definitely not a Ben episode. I think we're running about 10 episodes and counting that have been Ben's episodes. This is 100% Pat's episode. This will be an interesting one. We're going to be talking about historical gangs. Is that what we're doing? Yeah, I guess we can I guess we can do that. Historical gangs. Why? What are you talking about? I mean, mine are basically from the 18th, 19th, 20th centuries. Okay. I guess we're kind of in the same spectrum if you will. Okay, sweet. So, criminal enterprise, gangs. There's a lot of different gangs throughout history. Sure. Obviously, organized crime is just basically doing business without rules. Yep. More or less. Different times in history have offered different opportunities for crime. We might say that maybe today there's less of a certain types of crime, but there's definitely still other types of crime that are rampant throughout our society. Internet crime is big right now. Internet crime, definitely. So, we're going to get into it. Ben, what do you got? Sure. All right. (laughs) <laughs> I'm so out of it, dude. Me too, man. First one I'm going to get in, be getting into is called, you ever heard of Les Apaches? Actually, I did. That's a good one. Did you do this one? I did not. Las Apaches were a turn-of-the-century street gang before World War One. Now, in French, this is pronounced Apache. Okay. I, I got we'll there. Go 
They got their name from the uh, ferociousness of their actions, similar to the ferocity of like the Apache Indians. That's where they got their name. Sure. Now, their numbers would grow into the tens of thousands and mostly consisted of juvenile delinquents. Um, this was a really weird gang. They had like their own like type of culture called Apache dancing or uh, street swing. And these dances were like extremely violent and contained techniques that mimicked the Apache Indians but there was nothing controlled about these dances. Sure. People would die at these dances. Oh, my God. They would be thrown in the tables and glass. They would be hit in the face by just blows, just random fists and legs <laughs> going everywhere. Like, this, this shit was <laughs> fucking ridiculous. And someone thought this was a good idea. Yes. Um, they were recognizable by the doe eye. They had, like, small tattoos around their eyes, and they had uh, attire consisted of bell pants, a half-open jacket, revealing a jersey or a crumpled shirt cap on the head and meticulously polished shoes sure now they had their own type of like fighting style and it was really fucking dirty and they had they used a lot of tricks and they tricked a lot of people like they utilized hats and scarves and jackets they had like their own personal weapons like they had this one pistol called the apache pistol and it also functioned as a knife and uh brass knuckles <laughs> <laughs> i'll have to put the picture of it up on the face Facebook page. Yeah, I did see it's a picture a, of this. It's yeah, pretty wild. Said, yeah, it's pretty crazy. I kind of want one. Yeah, and um, they they greatly utilized headbutting, which I don't know why that's so funny to me, but like I feel like if I was in a fight with someone and I used use my head, that would hurt me like just as much as them. Like, yeah, I would knock myself yeah, out like, trying to headbutt somebody. But uh, yeah, they would they would like rob people. They would like gang up on them. They would like use a scarf and like wrap it around like their neck, and then they would like do like almost like a piggyback. They would turn around and they would like pull them by their neck, and then the other gang member would go up and like get shit from their pockets and everything like that like they were just dirty ass people it's too bad that france couldn't have channeled this group into like their actual military because france can't win a war to save their lives but they got this wild bunch running around well what's crazy is when the war happened a lot of that crime basically like dissipated because a lot of people went to the war sure and to the war effort and stuff well obviously it didn't work too well for france that's true had to get bailed out because they suck yeah, because they were all fighting with these Apache pistols. They were fighting with uh, regular weapons. Yeah. But, yep, that's the uh, less Apaches. That was a good one. Not bad. Now, my first one is a lesser-known game. You probably haven't heard of this one. Have you ever heard of the Van Buren Boys? No, can't say that I have. This is a game, and this is probably my most recent game that I'm going to discuss. They pretty much roamed small parts of the Upper West Side of New York City in the early to mid-1990s. Now, the Van Buren boys was your typical street-tough gang. Basically, they just intimidated people and tried to rob them. That was basically their, their racket. But um, what makes them interesting is their dedication to Martin Van Buren. So much so that their secret gang sign was holding up eight fingers. Because Martin Van Buren's the eighth president. Yes. Now, different people throughout that time had gotten gotten in their run-ins with the Van Buren boys. But a gentleman by the name of Cosmo Kramer, I don't know if you've heard of him, had an encounter with these people. And he was holding something in his hands. But he happened to just happen to be holding up eight fingers as he got startled by them. <laughs> and they accepted him as one of their own. 
Wow. Now, there's not a whole lot known about this gang. I don't even know if they still exist these days. But they've been known to uh, basically accept, like, I don't know, like, like wannabe city planners into their ranks. Especially those that don't really get support from, like, establishments. So, like, if you fuck somebody up and they join the Van Buren boys, they're going to come out and try to get you back, basically. Nice. So, that's about all I got <laughs> on the Van Buren boys. That's cool. I've never heard of the Van Buren boys. Very, very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, what else you got? So, I hope I have enough on this one because this gang was huge and powerful. And there's, I don't know. You ever heard of the Five Points Gang? Yep. Five Points Gang was a criminal street gang from the late 19th century to the early 20th century. Based in the Five Points of Lower Manhattan, New York, this area, now the present day location of Chinatown, lay between Broadway and the Bowery. This was an area you could describe as the slums, um, high crime, uh, a settlement for poor immigrants, a lot of different immigrants from different religious backgrounds, and they none of them liked each other, and those would just form little gangs and within with, with, within themselves. Like throughout the 19th and 20th century, well, the uh, the early 19th century, all kinds of little gangs would just pop up here and there within five points all the time. Sure, I all fighting the, over territory. I call those gangs the gangs of New York. Yeah. Yes, and a uh, fan, uh, fantastic movie with the yep. greatest actor uh, living right now, Daniel Day-Lewis. And uh, Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson, yes. Where the hell was I? Oh, yeah. Uh, settlement for uh, poor immigrants, uh, gambling dens, brothels. Just not a good place. Not a place you'd want to take your kids. No, definitely not. Yeah, and the Gangs in New York was actually filmed in this area, I'm pretty sure. Really? Some of the set was, yeah. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Which is pretty awesome. So, last standing of these gangs that pretty much from the from the 1820s going up into the right before the Civil War, there were all kinds of various gangs like we were talking about. Sure. But there were two that kind of stood there at the end. They were called the Dead Rabbits and the Wyos. Now, the founder of the Five Points Gang was an Italian American named Paul Kelly. Now, he would recruit a lot of people from the other various gangs around Five Points, especially those last two that were the big ones that were standing sure and uh some big prominent members were uh a part of this five points gang such as al capone oh yeah and he ended up moving out to chicago and doing the work of the gang out there and he would make you know a character onto himself in, in the in the mob world uh and charles luciano which i guess would later become probably the one of the biggest gangsters ever yeah he's the one isn't he the one that formed the commission the italian la cosa nostra commission i, I think in the US. so something like that but they had um they actually had a big rival and they were known as the uh they were monk eastman's gang and what happened with them was pretty crazy they had like a big war like in the street like they sure. had like each side had like a hundred or so people and they were just all they all had weapons and they were all fighting each other uh guns you know and the police couldn't do anything about it uh once the police kind of got control of it they got both leaders. They got Kelly and they got Eastman. They tried to uh, try and like work out the territory issue because that's what the war was over. Sure. And they wouldn't come to a conclusion sitting down. So what the police ultimately did was they were like, all right, you guys are going to have a boxing match. <laughs> and whoever wins the boxing match uh, gets the territory. Sure. And uh, the boxing match ended up becoming a draw because they none of the, the two couldn't knock each other out. They fought for like two hours. Oh, my God. I think Eastman 
woman ended up getting killed in like a robbery attempt or something like that. He was killed by police. Wow. Yeah, that's the the Five Points gang. They were really involved in political matters. They would like support corrupt politicians and they would like stuff ballot boxes and they would uh they would rig elections and shit in their favor. They they made a lot of money in that shit. Sure, definitely. And they're one of the more prominent ones. Like you really can't talk about mm-hmm. the underworld of America in the 20th century without talking about the, the Five Points Gang. Oh yeah. And my first one is gonna be called the Purple Gang. I don't know if you've heard of them. Mm. And these would be contemporaries with the Five Points Gang. This group would have come up maybe a little bit later. Different part of the world though. We're talking about Detroit, Michigan. Have you ever been there? Yeah, yeah, I've been there. Been there a couple times. Yeah. Yep. Um. So the Purple Gang is also known as a Sugar House Gang. Mm. They they were primarily bootleggers more so than anything else. They were established themselves and rose to prominence during Prohibition, which was back from the, what, 1920 to 1933 when the United States just outlawed alcohol for reasons that, uh, who knows. But basically, Detroit was kind of like a... Uh, Kind of like a prime time area for prohibition before prohibition happened because in 19, as of 1917, Michigan outlawed alcohol before the United States did. Hmm. And what's funny is this was a, this was promoted by Henry Ford among other people who wanted sobriety in society, basically. Sure. I don't think Henry Ford wanted his workers drinking on the job. So he figured, well, it's outlawed completely, et cetera, et cetera. So Michigan for a while had to deal with the prohibition aspect of life before the rest of the United States did. Crazy. Now, Detroit became kind of a, a center of illegal alcohol smuggling because they had close close proximity to Ohio, so they would uh, pipe a lot of booze in from their nearest city, which was a lawless, lawless wasteland called Toledo, Ohio. I don't know if you've heard of that place. Yep. Toledo was a primary supplier of booze into Michigan pre-prohibition. And Canada, Detroit's very close to Canada. Obviously, Windsor's on the other side of the river. Yep. Canada would get a lot of booze in. Now, in the 1920s, Canada had outlawed the consumption of alcohol, but pretty much let licensed distilleries still make it. But only for export. So you could make booze in Canada, you could export it, but you couldn't drink it yourselves and you couldn't sell it domestically, supposedly. So that opened up the door for bootleggers to run alcohol across the river, pretty much. Sure. So the Purple Gang was primarily a Jewish group, but they had ranks amongst all sorts of demographics. And they found their opportunity mostly in alcohol running, but they were involved in everything. They were involved in theft and extortion. They were involved in murder. Apparently 500 murders can be attributed to this gang. Damn. Now they fizzled out in the early 1930s and as we're going to see with a lot of these gangs, it's like it's good as long as everyone gets along and it's organized. The second someone gets pissed off that someone else is getting a better deal than they're getting, that's how the whole thing falls apart because you have to be organized and the Purple Gang met their demise because they couldn't they couldn't keep that going. You know, everybody wants something more. They want this territory, that territory, this racket, that racket, whatever. Right. Now the most prominent members of the Purple Gang were a group of brothers named A. Abe, Joe, Raymond, and Izzy Bernstein, who were De- or New York City natives who moved to Detroit and saw the opportunity. Now, the biggest thing with the Detroit gang scene back in the day is, for the most part, Al Capone didn't want to be directly involved in Detroit. He didn't see a whole lot of opportunity there. Or maybe he did, he just didn't want to deal with it. Sure. So, the Purple Gang was allowed to rise to prominence, mostly because of their affiliation with Al Capone, but they were their own thing at the same time. Now, it's alleged, among other incidents, that the Purple Gang, either 
either ordered or sent the manpower out to Chicago and committed the St. Valentine's Day massacre of, was it 1929 or something, where there was supposed to be a big liquor delivery back there in the heyday of Prohibition to this little garage in the middle of Chicago. And it was supposed to be delivered to this, like, poker game. And there were four guys, including two guys that were dressed as police officers but weren't cops, that took Tommy guns out and mauled down seven guys that were at this poker game. Jesus. And it was one of the more, it was like, (coughs) it's like the quintessential gangland massacre type. It's like, you know, the Tommy guns and the guys in the hats and all that shit. Sure. It's allegedly the purple gang that carried out this, or were heavily involved in this this plot. Now, this was back in in the days of, I can't remember who the hell all these gangsters were, but there's a lot of rivalries going on. And this was kind of a, a tipping point, if you will. Right. And it also brought the underworld into the public's eye, like at the like hardcore. Because anytime something like that goes down, it gets kind. It's kind of intense. You know what I mean? Right. So, anyways, the Purple Gang, like I said, they kind of fizzled out in the 1930s. They had operations like across the country, though. Like they were involved in Miami early day Miami operations, etc. They couldn't keep the organization together, but there was a lot of shit going on with this group. It was very very prominent, very well Sounds known, like it. and they were relatively organized that they had multiple syndicates in yeah. multiple areas. And they dominated Detroit. They were the Detroit criminal empire back then. Now, they kind of ceded way to the Italian mob after they kind of fizzled out because the Italian mob kind of stepped in where the Purple Gang left off, basically. Sure. There were definitely Italians involved in the Purple Gang at different points, even though it was primarily a Jewish gang. But <laughs> there, there are some crazy stories about this group. Like, there's some people out there that blame them for the Lindbergh baby kidnapping, which I don't know if you've heard about that one. <laughs> I've heard about that one. So there's a lot going on with that group. Well, that's the Purple Gang. That's my second one. That's a good one. They're a little bit more prominent than the Van Buren boys, <laughs> but, but they're definitely worth talking about, especially considering our proximity to the area, etc. So Definitely. That's cool. Yep. Anyways, what else you got? This is my third and last one. Have you ever heard of the 40 Elephants Gang? I can't say that I have. This is actually, this is pretty wild. So this gang from the 19th and 20th century, this is an all-female crime syndicate. Uh-oh. There are no men in this gang. Interesting. Uh, located in London, they specialized in shoplifting. Okay. And they were incredibly gifted at avoiding detection from police. This game was around from the 1870s and the 1950s. Holy shit. Right. And there's also, some of the articles I read were saying that uh, there could have been some in the 18th century as well. Sure. Possibly in the late 18th century That's as well. That's surprising. But um, they were probably the most organized in that time period, 1870s and the 1950s. Sure. They were well organized. And they would get into war with, like, other gangs as well. Like, other ground, other, other, like, gangs would be like wow look at these women like women are fucking badass like they would actually like kind of look up to them sure anyways they took advantage of the fact that due to prudish attitudes of the time women were given a lot of privacy when they shopped so yeah so they took whole advantage of that and they could hide their loot in their coats cummerbunds muffs skirts uh bloomers and hats they raided large stores well they had all this clothing but they would like custom modify them to sure. make like extra pockets and shit like that. Um, they raided the large stores of the west stores of the west end of London, and the gang stole goods with thousands and thousands of pounds worth of goods from these stores. Female gang members earned enough money to financially support their spouses. Okay. So the, the, the dudes didn't even have to work. <laughs> they just kick it at home. The gang would eventually become well known to the area with high class shops, which they typically targeted. Their mere 
mere presence would cause a panic. Like yeah. everyone was 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 scared of these women. Eliminating the secrecy required for their activities. During the 20th century, the gang modernized their activities. They invested into fast cars to transport their loot using getaway vehicles that could outrun the police. Wow. Like how hasn't there been a movie made about this? I can't believe it. And like like I said, they were really organized. They used trains to travel to a town and deposited their empty suitcases at railway uh, railway stations and uh, during their return trip the suitcases were filled with stolen goods. While the gang members often stole clothing items, they typically did not wear the stolen clothes. So they were smart not to go around showing what they stole. Yeah. That's like like the first thing criminals do is they get a bunch of money and they go out and they fucking spend it. And they they buy their Lamborghinis and this woman would, these women would not do that. That's good. That was smart. But uh, yeah, they would distribute their loot through different networks of uh, you know street market traders and pawn brokers, sure shit like that. And uh, what's even crazy is they would take they would take like stolen like clothing items and they would modify the brand and change like the um, the labels and they would like sell them back to the fucking stores that they stole it from. Yeah, which was pretty brilliant. Definitely, honestly. definitely. But that is the Forty Elephants Gang. Very interesting. I didn't read about that one. Yeah, I wonder if they're still out there in small form. And you Could hear about be. these gangs. There's no drama that kind of ended them. It sounded pretty organized. Maybe they're maybe they are so good that they made themselves look like they disappeared, but they never did. It's a possibility. Just saying. Anyways, I got a couple more really quick ones for us. Sure. Have you ever heard of Kabukamono? Uh-uh. Also known as Hatamoto Yako. Uh-uh. Neither of those ring a bell for you. Would if you if you saw the Japanese characters, would those help? Maybe. <laughs> those help. Those help. Okay. Yep. This was a gang of samurai in feudal Japan. Now these guys weren't actually like samurai samurai these were like past samurai or samurai-ish characters but there's a lot of formalized structure in terms of who was allowed to be a samurai and who wasn't but this happened during the azuchi momoyama period which is towards the end of the muromachi period of 1573 and the beginning of the edo Edo period of 1603 so this is kind of when they were getting going so we're talking 16th and 17th century in japan sure these guys were known as basically wandering samurai or samurai that might have worked for like a samurai family like warriors like underlings type and during peacetime they didn't really have anything to do so they just kind of formed these like roving gangs and just did whatever the hell they wanted to do now they're more of a cultural icon i would say as opposed to like actual like actually organized criminal enterprise it was more like something you identified as i guess like these groups would identify as kabuki mono more so than it was like an actual like the leader of the gang and all this shit but they were known to do all this crazy things like they would dress up in really non-traditional Japanese clothing. They'd sometimes wear European clothing when they could get it. They'd wear Persian clothing. They'd even wear women's clothing just to stand out and be different. So there's a lot going on with these guys. Um, yeah. they, they grew facial hair sometimes, and their behavior was all over the place. It was very, it was definitely unsociable back then for the Japanese culture, but even unsociable today. They would go out, they'd rob people, they wouldn't pay for their meals at restaurants, and they were also known to occasionally test out their new swords by just chopping some random person in half to see how Jesus well it worked. Christ. 
So this was, Lord these Almighty. guys were rough. They wrestled. They sung loud. They danced on the streets like your Apache people did. Yeah. Um, they did all sorts of crazy shit. Now, like I said, they're they're pretty culturally iconic, at least in Japan. And there's lots of legends surrounding them. And there's a pretty prominent one that I saw from several different sources that said that the current Japanese criminal enterprise, the Yakuza, or Yakuza, I don't know if you've heard of them, that these guys are the origin of the Yakuza, which is that crazy criminal Japanese thing. I don't know if you've actually heard of them or not. You haven't heard of Yakuza? I don't think so. I've only ever heard of them from the office because there was a Japanese guy that was working in the warehouse. (laughs) And he was some old, like, old Japanese guy. It's like, what's he doing at working at Dunder Mifflin? And then one day he tells his life story. He goes, in Japan I was Sujin, number one. One day, Yakuza boss calls me. (laughs) Must need surgery. I perform surgery. But no, Yakuza boss dies. I run to America to hide. Daryl, give me a job. But I have secrets. I kill Yakuza boss during surgery. <laughs> I never make mistake. <laughs> that's so that's funny. the only reason I know about the Yakuza. But apparently that's they're a funny. thing. And then the last one I got, and we'll get this one wrapped up real quick. Have you ever heard of the Hole in the Wall gang? <laughs> nope. This is more, again, more of a loose enterprise as opposed to an actual formal gang. But this group of gangs, I guess is the best way to put it, operated out of Hole in the Wall Pass in Wyoming between the 1860s and the early 1900s. Now, basically, this was like a like a mountainous terrain area that provided a very secluded but easy to defend place for gangs to basically operate out of. So, if you're out in the Wild West, and the Wild West, people always think of the Wild West is like Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, but it extended pretty far north. Like the sure. Dakotas had Wild West shit going on, Wyoming, Montana. Mm-hmm. There was shit going on all across the entire West. Basically, cowboys oh, yeah. doing cowboy shit, cattle rustling, uh, outlawing, outlawing gunslinging anyways billy the kid yeah he was pretty good yeah but this one um this this group their most famous one is butch cassidy and his wild bunch which includes a sundance kid amongst others and basically with this hole in the wall group it was a loose affiliation of gangs and it's like if you wanted to operate in this area you had to kind of like get along with the with the code so there were different gangs that would use the same area and they'd kind of share resources a little bit but like if you got in in a dispute with a different gang there was like ways to settle it etc but it was very easy you could defend it with very few people so you there it didn't take a whole lot for a gang to basically keep its entire operation isolated from civilized society so like the lawmen couldn't get in there you really couldn't do a whole lot to this group and this it just it was a very prominent area of operation mm-hmm. now they had like corrals in there they were able to get food in there they were able to like even keep cattle in there and shit like that and no lawmen ever successfully entered the area ever Damn. even undercover it was kind of like uh it kind of felt like by the wayside. I don't really know what took it down, like what took down that area. But eventually it became less and less easy to pull off the stunts that you could pull off in the Wild West. Because as time goes on, defenses for cattle rustling become tougher to penetrate. It becomes less lucrative, etc., etc. Now, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid back in the early 20th century, which is crazy that they were operating in the 20th century. Mm-hmm. They were kind of the, when they took off, when they fled the country, that was pretty much the end of that hole in the wall game era if you will there are a few people still kind of hanging out there but after like 50 years it ended with butch cassie and the sundance kid running down to bolivia which is where they lived out their days and they ended up getting killed by the bolivian army <laughs> but jesus so that's kind of interesting kind of a loose affiliation
vacation, if you will. Right. But I want to go. I want to go visit this place. I want to go visit this canyon or wherever the hell it is. Me too. That'd just be to see, fun. just to see how they did it. And I guess like one of the cabins that the Wild Bunch like lived in is in a museum somewhere. Like they took the entire cabin out and put oh, it in a museum. Sweet. So that's kind of interesting. It's interesting how these gangs can operate across different eras, different prominent points in history, etc. The Wild West, definitely. The growth of the mob in New York, etc. Detroit, the samurai, the thieves in Britain, the women thieves. Crazy. The Van Buren boys. It's crazy how they can do everything in such secrecy. Exactly. Like the Van Buren boys are so secret that nobody really knows about them. <laughs> so. I mean, just think of how big the organized crime is today with the yeah. Bloods and the Crips and the 18th Street Gang and the MS-13s. Yeah, MS-13 is a scary one. Yeah. Yeah, it's different. Different world out there. Oh, yeah. So we'll see. I don't feel like it's as organized these days. I really Probably don't. Probably not as organized. I feel like though. everyone wants to be the most brutal, the most violent. So that's kind of what's prompting this because there's so much exposure. Right. There's social media and they're all on social media and doing all this shit anyways. There's just too much exposure. If you are a part of a gang, tweet us at 30 in the... I don't know if I want gang members tweeting us. Never mind. Don't tweet us at 30 in the... <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that was our episode on gangs. That was more of a historical discussion. Definitely. If you have any gangs that we missed that we should have talked about, please tweet us. Please let us know. Uh, please keep listening to the podcast. Please keep telling all your friends and family about it. Yes, I've been please trying, spread the word. I've been trying to push the show pretty heavily. We'll see what kind of results we get. We'll have to do another boost. Definitely. <laughs> oh, my God. That was a disaster. <laughs> that was that was funny. See what kind of weird-ass people. I don't know if they actually ever listen to the show or not. I don't know. See, we got a boost to people that are going to click on it. We don't want to boost the people that are going to comment on it because I obviously... I mean, it's, it's random. I is mean, it? You, you picked, like, the... I think you picked, like, the demographics, like, the age group, the... But you, you don't just, like, pick particular people. Oh, like okay. Certain, yeah. It, put, it puts it out there into the ether. You're the you're the marketing whiz on this show. I'm just the... I guess. Just the other guy, so... Anyways, please keep tweeting us. Please let us know what you guys think about the show. Comment on our Facebook page. Yes, comment on Facebook for sure. If you have any topics you guys want us to do, please tweet us and let us know. We're getting close to 100. We're almost there. We are. We're getting there. We do finally have a topic for 100. Did we decide that? Yes, I think we did. At least I'm hoping we did. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we're doing the... Do we want to spoil it? No. Okay. I don't know. No, let's not spoil it. Okay, we won't. Anyways, tune in for episode 100, but you're going to have to tune into episode 99 prior. And this one, too. (laughs) (laughs) God damn it. I don't know if this one was our best or our brightest, but... You know, we made it happen, so... We work night shift, people. Yeah. Well, I was on days this week. And that's that's part of why you had your delay is I cannot function during the day. No. Like it's literally it was get up at six, go in at seven, work till three, go home immediately, take a nap, wake up at like nine, not be able to fall asleep, and then fall asleep at like two. So, so I'm so fucked up right now. But I bet. Anyways, it's about time for us to get out of here. So thank you very much, guys, for listening. Peace. Spelunkers find 27,000-year-old claw marks in hidden cave untouched for millennia. Interesting, but what's a spelunker? I don't know. That's, that's literally the headline. Okay. Through a small rocky hole, archaeologists could feel the air. Could tell some unknown space lay just beyond their reach. They pushed through the sealed up... Uh, God. <laughs> Dude, look at the way this is written. Might as well just restart. They pushed through the sealed up a passageway and shined a flashlight around the cavern. What lay before them exceeded all their expectations. The archaeologists in Spain were exploring the underground caverns of Cuva del Arco. The sediment-filled spot seemed to... God. The sediment-filled spot seemed to 
Cut. <laughs> God damn it. The sediment-filled spot. It's not like it's gonna, I don't think it's going to go anywhere anytime soon. No. Definitely not. I don't know. How about... Uh, you watch any of the NBA trade deadline at all? Not really. I, I saw some trades. Um... Looks like they hooked up uh, Luca and Kyrie. That was a pretty yeah. good move. There you go. Um, what else? Kevin Durant got moved, didn't he? To the Suns. To the Suns, and he's with um, freaking uh, Chris, Chris Paul, Paul and Devin Booker. And Devin Booker. Yep. So that ain't bad. That could yeah. win. That could win a championship. Yeah, we'll see. How do you feel about LeBron getting the the points? I can't fucking stand LeBron. I can't either. I, just, just, I can't look at his face. He drives me nuts. He's so annoying. Like, he didn't even really accomplish that much. Everyone who got that far did it in less time. Yeah, Lou Elson did. Yeah, I mean, Kareem did it in, what, 14 years? No, Kareem played like 20 years. What's your count in this time is Lou Alcindor. <laughs> oh. Because he, he changed his name in the middle of his career. Well, not, no, probably, this is towards the beginning of his career. But Kareem, in my brain, he's Lou Alcindor. Kareem played that long? Yeah, he, he played a while. Oh. He was also in the movie uh, Airplane. It's a good movie. Oh, yeah, definitely. I don't got a whole lot of stories. In Britain in 1985, Pacific Pocket Mice... The smallest mouth, Jesus, God, I keep saying mouth. Anyways, I got another one from our favorite UPI odd news. Let's get it. Woodpecker. God. <laughs> <laughs> Woodpeckers stash 